0: I'm really glad that song is gonna be our theme song through the series. Uh, the more we sing it, the more it's going to become a part of our, of our story of who we are. And it's a beautiful song that, that reminds us of who and what is most important in our lives. And we demonstrate that like the lady who brought the alabaster box full of perfume. When it was time to anoint Jesus' feet, it's interesting that because of the way the box was made and because of the sacrifice that she wanted to make, she didn't just drop a couple of drops on his feet, but she broke the thing open and spilled it all out on Jesus' feet. She symbolically gave all that she had. The reason that she was so overwhelmed that she wanted to worship Him in such a a self-sacrificing way, the reason that she wanted to give Him all that she was was because she had found forgiveness at His feet. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at a number of different people whose lives were changed when they wound up at the feet of Jesus. This morning, we're going to begin with that story of that lady. It's recorded in more than one place, but we're going to look at it in Luke chapter 7. If you have your copy of Scripture with you or if you're following along in the Bible app, We're in Luke chapter seven, and we're gonna begin at verse 36. As this morning, we begin the series by talking about forgiveness at his feet. Forgiveness at his feet. Luke chapter seven, let me introduce you to the person we've traditionally called the sinful woman. In verse 36, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. I'm going to go through the story slowly and and pause from time to time to give you a little background. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to come to his house for a banquet. Now, we don't know the Pharisee's motive. Based on other interactions, we might assume that the Pharisee was trying to trap Jesus in some way. He was trying to set him up for something. But we really don't know that. It is possible that in some kind of, um, some kind of sincere way, he wanted to find out more about Jesus and figure out uh, who this guy was and what he was all about. For whatever reason, he invited Jesus to, to dinner. Not just a dinner, but a banquet, which means that Jesus would have been considered the, the, uh, the guest and then the, uh, the host would have invited other friends and family to come and to, to visit with Jesus. And it says that they reclined at table. And that sounds a little bit odd to us because we don't recline at the table. We either sit at the table or we recline in the chair in the living room. And I can eat dinner either place. I'm happy either way. Here when it says recline at the table, they, they did meals very differently. In, in Jesus' time and in this culture, They had, uh, if they used a table at all, it would have been a very short table down, down very close to the ground. And they would lie down, usually had cushions to kind of help support them, but they'd lie down basically on, on one arm. And they didn't use knives and forks kind of the way we do. And so they could eat with one hand and they'd kind of lean over on, on one arm and they'd eat with one like this. And in order to do that, you know, if everybody's lying down at the table, you certainly don't want to be in a position where you're too close to anybody's feet. So when they'd lie down, their feet would stick out away from the table. And you could circle the whole table and you got people's feet sticking out all around over here. And so Jesus would have reclined at the table at the invitation of the Pharisee with his feet pointed out. Let's continue the story now. We're at 37. Behold a woman of the city who was a sinner. By the way, we don't know who this woman is. Tradition said it was Mary Magdalene, but we have no reason to assume that. Also, by the way, in her defense... We know that Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed at one time, but we don't know necessarily that she was a prostitute, nor do we know that this woman is necessarily a prostitute. What we're about to find out is that she is a very worldly woman who is very sinful. But that's the extent of what we know. Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner... When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Standing behind him, at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, anointed them with the ointment. Here is one who found out where Jesus was and understand the culture again was, was different in a number of ways. One, no woman would have been invited to that banquet. Those lying around the table, eating together, getting to know the, the special guest would all have been men. But another, another difference in our cultures is that Houses or homes that were open You know the the door area was open the windows were just open and everybody knew everybody's business. Well some maybe it's not so different <laughs> Everybody knew everybody business And because of that if you find out somebody's having a banquet it's okay for you to, to, to walk in there you know today if I'm having a party at my house and you don't have an invitation, we're going to have a conversation at the front door. In their culture, it was different. It's kind of like the paparazzi. The normal, everyday people were kind of like paparazzi, and they could come in and observe the important people at the banquet. It was okay. And so here is a sinner, a woman of the city, who comes into the banquet because she knows Jesus is going to be there. And she not only washes her feet, but she washes washes his feet with her own tears. She doesn't wipe his feet down with a rag, but she wipes his feet with her hair. Giving of herself, sacrificing, praising him, She is completely broken as it is her tears that provide the water for the washing. She is completely broken, just like the alabaster box that she would have had to break in order to pour out that ointment. And she anoints his feet. Verse 39, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. What a different story it might have been if we had read that the Pharisee saw what she was doing and was so moved in his heart that he recognized that was the place he himself should be. What a different story that would have been. But instead, the Pharisee looks and he thinks, he didn't even say it out loud. He thought, Jesus must not really be a prophet. If Jesus was really a prophet, he would know that she's a sinner and he would not let her touch him. Because, you know, us holy people, we don't associate with sinners. Us good, clean people, we don't let the the dirty sinners touch us. So Jesus must not be the real thing or, or he would not let that happen. Isn't it interesting how so often we decide what Jesus would do based on what we would actually do? That's why the whole WWJD thing never really worked. What would Jesus do? The only way you think you know what Jesus would do is you actually figure out what you would do, and then you apply that to him. And here the Pharisee says, if he was really a prophet, really the righteous man, then he would handle it the way I would handle it, and that is, I wouldn't let her touch me. Verse 40, and Jesus answering said to him, I can't even go on because that excites me so much because the man didn't say a word. He thought it and Jesus answered, not his words, but his thoughts. Now the guy had just now questioned whether Jesus was the real deal. That question should go away immediately when Jesus knows how to respond to what he's thinking without even having said it. It says Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Now Simon is a common name. Don't get confused with Simon Peter. This is a different Simon, Simon, it's a a very common name. And so Jesus says I got something to say and here's what he says verse 41 A certain money lender had two debtors one owed 500 denarii and the other 50 Remember that a denarius is what you made if you worked one day So 500 denarii is over a year What's that like a year and 3 months something like that The other one owed 50, less than two months worth of salary. 42, when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. He said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? He is addressing, again, some of those cultural things that you and I may not really be familiar with at first. He says, when I first came in, you didn't give me water for my feet. When one was hosting someone and you had a guest who was coming, you would provide water at the door because they, in order to get to your house, they had to walk all through the dirt. Didn't have paved roads, and so they had to walk through the dirt to get to your house. So when they entered your house, you provided them the opportunity to have some water there to wash their feet, especially if they're fin to lie down at your table. You want those feet clean. But the guest wants the comfort as well that comes in having clean feet. And so you always provided water. Sometimes in special places, the host would provide a servant who would actually do the washing of your feet. You didn't have to wash your own feet in that case. But there was always water there. And Jesus said, Simon, when I came to your house, you didn't even give me any water. Also, when you greeted folks, you, when you and I greet each other, we'll, we'll shake hands. You know, hey, how are you? Good to see you. If we're real tight, you know, we may pull it in for a little shoulder hug and back tap. In their culture, the greeting was a double kiss. Kiss on one side, come over here and kiss on the other side. Stay away from the middle, but you could kiss on one side, kiss on the other side. A double kiss. Jesus said, dude, when I came into your house, you didn't even shake my hand. You didn't even greet me with a kiss. And yet this lady has not stopped kissing my feet since she got here. Finally, another very common practice in the culture was to anoint the head with oil. It was primarily symbolic. It was, it, was a, it was kind of a blessing. But there was also something to it because let's be honest, they live out in a desert area. They, you know, they don't have the shower stalls that we're used to. They don't, they don't have right guard. And so you come in, you anoint the head with oil. It's a blessing. It also kind of covers some of the sweat smell of the day. And now you smell that sweet olive oil instead. It's common practice. Jesus said, when I came into your house, you didn't anoint my head. And now look at her. She not only put a couple of drops of olive oil on my head, but she poured out the whole alabaster box on my feet. You would not acknowledge the best part of me and she has not stopped paying attention to even the least little bit of me. And in the story then, he says, so look at the difference. See how much love she has showed me? Because yeah, she had a lot of sin. And because it's been forgiven, she shows me a lot of love. Simon, I'm willing to forgive you too, but where's the love, Bubba? Verse 45, you gave me no kiss. Verse 46, you didn't anoint my head. Verse 47, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this that he forgives sins? Who does he think he is? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now in the last few minutes that I have remaining with you, I want to share with you some important things that we learn from this lady who found herself at the feet of Jesus. And first we learn that we find forgiveness at his feet. Simon thought that he had it all together, but the lady was falling apart. Simon didn't do what he should, the lady did all she could. Simon gave nothing. The lady gave her all. Because she found forgiveness. At the feet of Jesus. Humility puts us in the right position to be forgiven. Think of the position she was in. In order to wash someone's feet, you have to kneel. You ever notice that? I think that's part of the point of the servant washing feet. In order to wash someone's feet, you have to kneel. But this lady didn't just wash his feet. In order to wash someone's feet, you have to kneel, but in order to wash someone's feet with your own tears and your hair, you also have to bow. And she has come in in total humility. Her herself is broken and poured out to him. In 2 Chronicles at verse 3 at chapter 7, at verse 14. We love to quote this verse on the National Day of Prayer and for revival. And we say, look, if we'll pray, God will do something. Look at the verse again because there's an if and a then. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, that's where it starts. None of the rest of the verse happens at all until we first meet that criteria, that requirement, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and then if they'll pray and then if they'll really seek my face and then if they'll turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. In order for something big to happen with God, sin has to be taken care of. He's got to forgive us of our sin if something big's going to happen in our relationship. But for Him to forgive us our sin, it first starts when we humble ourselves. And this lady has totally humbled herself before Him. And it is there that we find forgiveness. James reminds us that he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You see, pride keeps us from seeing our own need for forgiveness. We like to compare ourselves to other people because that sets the standard low enough to make it easy for us to feel superior. You know what I mean by that? Here's the Pharisee looking at the lady. Man, She's a sinner. And you and I do the same thing. Yeah, I've got this sin and this sin, and I've got this one down here that nobody knows about but me. But at least I'm not like that dude over there. And I'm not pointing at anybody. I want you all to notice that. This is the floor. At least I'm not like that, that guy over there. We compare ourselves to each other because that lowers the standard to a place that it's comfortable for us to feel superior. The issue, though, is that we we are not to compare ourselves with one another. You are not the standard by which I am to live my life. Instead, my focus is to be on him. You can't tell where you are spiritually by focusing on other sinners, only by focusing on Him. And so Hebrews 12 reminds us, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. I'm going to run my race, not by paying attention to where the other runners are. I'm going to run my race by paying attention to where the finish line is. And in this case, the finish line is the person of Jesus Christ himself. My goal is to be like him, not like you. And here the Pharisee shows us ourselves how easy it is to point the finger and look down the nose And the lady reminds us of how vitally important humility is. We find forgiveness at the feet of Jesus when we come to his feet in humility. We also find grace at his feet. Simon could only see her position. Jesus could see her pain. Simon could only see her past. Jesus could see her future. Simon could only see her sin. Jesus could see her faith because Jesus showed her grace. Now, it's important that we notice that in in their discussion, Jesus said of her in verse 47, I tell you her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Grace is not overlooking or pretending that sin doesn't exist. Grace is not making light of sin. It's not covering it up and pretending that it never happened. Instead, grace is forgiving even though we don't deserve it. Grace is allowing us to be right with him in spite of our continued many sins. He said, her sins are many, but they are forgiven. You know, we we often say to one another, sin is sin. Sin is sin. All, all sin is sin. That's not actually true. I think what we mean when we say that is guilt is guilt. We all, we all have the same guilt. Of We are guilty of sin. But sins are not the same. Sins have different consequences. They affect people differently. They require different restitution. And so here is a story of one who owes like a, a year and three qu- months or something worth of salary. And here's one that own, owes a couple of months worth of salary. Both debts are forgiven. So now both owe the same. Zero. Sins are not the same. This one's 500, that's 50. 50. But they were both in debt. Guilt is what's the same. And grace comes now. And the one who owed a great deal and the one who owed a little. Both had their debts forgiven. Part of the point there is somebody this morning says, Preacher, that's fine for, that's fine for you church folk who grew up in church preacher, you never did enough, you never did anything big enough to be scared of God and you never did anything that bad. You can be forgiven. That's easy for him to forgive you, but you don't know, you don't know what I've done. Truth is, I don't know. But what I do know is what Jesus did. And because I know what Jesus did, I know that was enough to cover whatever you've done. Grace. Grace. Covers. Whether you owe 500 denarii or 50 or 5. Grace. Covers. We find grace at the feet of Jesus. And we find salvation at his feet. Simon was looking at religion. The lady was looking at a relationship. Simon was looking down his nose. The lady was looking at the feet of Jesus. Simon was looking at. The lady, the lady was looking at the Lord. Now understand that she was not saved because of her tears. She was not saved because of her perfume. In verse 50, he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. She was saved by her faith. She couldn't have done anything anything close to enough to pay for all her sins. She didn't get back on Jesus' good side to cover up her sins. She cried. She served him. She anointed him. She cared for him. Not to make up, but to express her love for the forgiveness that he was giving her. It was an outward act of an inward reality. That's what faith and works is all about. Our works should be an outward act of the inward reality of our faith. When we get that backwards, it gets so confusing where we try to do enough works to make it work. You can never do enough work to make it work. It only works by faith. But once you have faith, real faith, it just kind of always shows up in the work. Ephesians 2 and 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And in Romans, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we've been sanctified, because we've been justified by faith, we have peace. Do you notice the last thing that he said to the woman that day? Shalom. Peace. 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 She came in broken, and she left whole. She came in in turmoil, and she left in peace. She came in a sinner, and left a child of God. She came in lost, and left saved. All because she was willing to humble herself at the feet of Jesus.